Today's guest started his career at just 15 years old. And since then, he's gone on to build a thriving entertainment business consisting of indoor leisure units, laser arenas, day nurseries, plus a 50-acre farm attraction, water park, and web-based soft toy business. Sometimes you might have to make content for, you know, 24 months for an audience to be built. But once you've got that audience, then you really do get the floodgates of customers coming towards you. That's why I do it. We're talking to the multi-talented and hugely successful James Sinclair, otherwise known as Jimbo the Party Man. Business has to be business savvy to deliver consistent customer service i.e the business must have margin so that it can afford to give its customers what i call customer covers his hard work and passion for putting smiles on people's faces has won him many awards including young entrepreneur of the year and growing business of the year you know it's so much easier to market to an audience but once you've got an audience i mean the world is your lobster He's also a published author whose book, The Millionaire Clown, details his journey from a teenage children's entertainer to multiple business owner, employing over 300 staff. Businesses don't innovate, they're going to evaporate and the world is constantly innovating. Just a heads up, we had a few technical difficulties on this recording, but James's story is so engaging, you probably won't even notice. Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast that celebrates professionals working in the visitor attraction sector. What do we mean by visitor attractions? Well, it's an umbrella term for a huge range of exciting organisations that are must-sees. Think museums, theme parks, zoos, farms, heritage sites, tour providers, escape rooms, and much, much more. They're tourist hotspots or much-loved local establishments that educate, engage, and excite the general public. Those who work in visitor attractions often pour their heart and soul into providing exceptional experiences for others. In our opinion, they don't get the recognition that they deserve for this. We want to change this. Each episode, we'll share the journeys of inspiring leaders, we'll celebrate their achievements and dig deeper into what really makes their attractions successful, both offline and digitally. Listen and be inspired as industry leaders share their innovative ideas, services and approaches. There's plenty of valuable information you can take away and put into action to create better experiences for your own guests. Your hosts for this podcast are myself, Kelly Molson, and Paul Wright. We're the co-founders of Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com. Search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. You can find links to every episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast. We hope that you enjoy these interviews. And if there's anyone you think we should be talking to, please do send us a message. James Sinclair, welcome to the Skip the Queue podcast. Skip the Queue podcast. Hello, Skip the Queue. Well, can we start by um, talking about how you've um, got to where you are? Yeah, um, I I suppose, yeah. I mean, I started out as a children's magician, uh, built a business business. called Party Man Entertainments in the early days, um, which basically was a children's entertainment agency. And we started providing children's entertainment to visitor attractions. And that's where I always wanted to get to. So that's why I started off there. And then we started opening our own indoor play centres. We've got a farm adventure park. Um, we've got Fort Fun down on the south coast in Eastbourne, which is a, a small visitor attraction as well. And we open a We've opened a chain of day nurseries and we make lots of teddy bears. We made over a million teddy bears uh, for visitor attractions. Um, 
to sell in their shops and at Christmas grottos. So we do a lot of that too as well. And then uh, I speak a lot at business conferences and helping people grow their businesses. And that's why I make a lot of content myself. I've got a podcast. Um, I put videos out on YouTube with business advice stuff. Um, quite active on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, that that's me. So you, you see producing content is important for a business. Yeah, I think content marketing is um, is absolutely crucial for businesses to make and do and distribute now. Um, I think it doesn't bring you an immediate return on investment, but when it does start returning investment, I think it uh, brings in well-qualified leads and loyal customers faster, quicker uh, than you ever thought possible once it, once, once it starts. Um, and that's getting that momentum going. What I tell people is, look, you know, sometimes you might have to make content for you know, 24 months uh, for an audience to be built. But once you've got that audience, then you really do get the floodgates of customers coming towards you. Um, and uh, that's why I do it. I mean, I, my, my, my whole sort of business premises is that you're running four companies. Company number one is the company you are today. Company number two is the company you want to be. Company number three is a media company. And then company four is a property company. And you're running those four companies in unison. And if you'll allow me, I'll explain what I mean. So company one is the company you are today. So you go, if you look at my career, I'm a kid's entertainer. I'm going to build that up. I want that to be a successful business. But that's going to give me the steps to be the company I really want to be, which is an owner of visitor attractions. Company three then has a role in driving qualified leads towards your operating companies and your operating companies are those companies one and two um so i've started creating entertainment we started a youtube channel called part of tv like putting out kids entertainment i used to go and do kids shows and theaters and schools and make that into content so that people could watch that content and then come to us uh, because we built an audience now some of that audience who was building offline back in the day because we didn't have access to you know all these platforms that are out there now um but what i'm doing with my business training business is i'm creating content like i'm a tv company that sends well qualified leads to me um, and if you see this is what visitor attractions have been doing over the last sort of 10 years 15 years to build up customers they've been buying in ip so drayton manor bought in thomas Thomas the Tank Engine, which was a media company. And on the back of that media company, they're getting more visitors. Portons Park have done it with Peppa Pig World. Um, and if you really study this, you think, actually, this is where Disney are so fantastic. They're a media company that also owns operating companies. And those operating companies are so much more powerful. So so I, I, I just subscribe to that methodology. Now, that doesn't stop you from doing your direct response marketing and your your your, your your typical marketing that you should be doing as well but i think when you feel like you're making content and you're a media company you're pulling people towards you rather than pushing for people and in reality you need to do both and then that company number four is your property company that you invest your profits from companies one and two into a property company so that if you need to this could be the land in which your visitor attraction operates out of um that if you need to re-innovate the main business then you can just go to your property company leverage off and get funds to re-innovate back into your core business again what types of marketing really works for you in terms of uh, content marketing? What would you say is the, the, the most benefit to you? Content marketing, in my mind, is when you're not selling, it's when you're building an audience. Um, 
And in the visitor attraction world, I would say Cannon Hall Farm up in Yorkshire do this spectacularly well. It's like they're creating a TV show around the farmers that own that farm so that people can uh, follow them. Um, it, uh, they're not selling, but then when they do sell stuff, because they've got such a highly engaged Facebook audience, they just say, hey, we're doing this, and then people buy it. Um, in terms of the content marketing that we would do that's directly for sales, we do mainly video marketing. And if you go on our Facebook page at Marsh Farm, you'll see a raft of video content. And that's how we get our customers. So do you think YouTube is one of your biggest drivers? No, I think for visitor attractions, I still think in terms of getting customers, I think Instagram and Facebook are still, because that's where, you know, the demographic of mums for our audience, they're mainly at. Um, I would say our, our core customer children are probably on YouTube, not Facebook, but the decision makers are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we, we do put our stuff on Insta, on YouTube, but you know, Facebook is definitely our go-to place in terms of getting customers. Um, and they're, they're a beast, you know, Facebook, as you know, they own WhatsApp, they own Instagram, um, and they're, you know, they're doing lots of moves to keep people on their platform via, you know, Instagram TV. And, you know, I mean, I mean, in essence, all of it's important, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, how do you find the time? Because I, I notice you're the key figure and the face for the company. Do you feel like it's reliant on you a lot? So you have to be creating this content a lot. And how do you find the time? What I try and do is dual purpose my time. So yesterday I spoke at Santander. Uh, I had a lunch with 10 other uh, business owners um, that were that came in for some advice and I had 40 other business owners in the afternoon for a seminar. We record all of that. We record the whole lot. We turn it into a vlog. We'll turn it into a podcast. Uh, we'll turn it into articles for like Medium. So we're doing it all. We try and dual purpose time. I'm speaking at a conference in Ibiza tomorrow. Um, but to turn that into leverage work, I'll make sure that we go and record that 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 keynote. And then that keynote will go on to YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of the platforms, so that uh, that my time is leveraged rather than unleveraged. And uh, and so but not everyone wants to have a, a you know a videographer following them around every day making content. I choose that as a smart thing to do. And I think over time, um, I think that will generate, you know, something very valuable for us. I mean, yes, it generates leads and opens doors for us now. Everyone in our industry sort of knows us and they can continue following. So, you know, I do believe in if you've got the will that building a personal brand, um, something that you can go and use is something really powerful. Oh, totally. It's a it's an approach that Gary V takes, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but Gary. I mean, basically, he probably inspired me to go and really do it. Yeah, absolutely, he did. But before that, I was inspired by losing my virginity by Richard Branson. That's what Richard Branson did. He, he built a personal brand that allowed him to leverage for the Virgin Group of companies. In my early days, I built the Jimbo, the Party Man brand, that when we opened Party Man World, our first indoor play center, we had customers ready to come to us because we built an audience. You know, it's so much easier to market to an audience. Most people don't have an audience, um, uh, but once you've got an audience, I mean, the world is your lobster. Absolutely. Have you done anything extreme like uh, Richard Branson? Yeah, I mean, we've done many extreme things, but never anything as extreme as he's done. <laughs> I should do, shouldn't I? I absolutely should. And we had a meeting about that yesterday, yeah. 
Oh, what, coming up with ideas about what you can do? Yeah, I mean, look, my team want me to go and run on in front of the Rugby World Final naked. Yeah, so I'm right <laughs> my YouTube channel, but I shan't be doing it. Okay. <laughs> but we are we're in, we're discussing ways of making sort of YouTube style documentaries that that would build up big traction on YouTube and hopefully build an audience that way. And and, and we're we're well into discussions of that. Okay. I notice there's a bit of noise in the background where you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm in my office. Yeah, not noisy. Just just be just be careful, mate. It's not as noisy as your office with trains <laughs> running through the office. <laughs> And oh, high no, yeah, so <laughs> PA's next week, Charles next week, Janky, Lissa, and our FD were all in the same office. Um, yeah, chilly chat. Sounds like you're busy. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're always busy. So um, I noticed the long list of businesses that you own, which is, uh, put me, you might have to put me right here, but is it nine indoor leisure units, three laser arenas, five day nurseries, a 50 acre farm? Park attraction, a water park, yeah, and a web-based soft toy business. Yeah, that's too um, plastic. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, make a bear business. Yeah, I noticed that um, on your LinkedIn profile, you're saying um, you mentioned how they complement each other during the dry and uh, wet seasons. Absolutely. I mean, I've 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 spent my time. I mean, leisure businesses are fickle in terms of the customer. The customers, you know. Uh, you know, a new leisure business opens up in the town, the customer wants to go and check it out. Um, and, and I realised that, you know, and so I try to make my businesses more boring. So you've got this this leisure business. And what I've do, tried to do is tag on other businesses that the leisure business supports that are more boring. So we have started, you know, uh, you know, we want to start accommodation at one of our sites, but we've also opened day nurseries at all of our businesses so that the, the leisure business feeds the day nursery so that that has more predictable uh, revenue. One of the big things that I think have been a bit of a, a groundbreaking move that we've made over the last 18 months is we've set up uh, direct debit memberships that are completely paperless. Um, you can sign up on our website and you can come to you know, our farm park for £5 a month unlimited um, because it's £65 to be a member, member here um, and... Um, you know, we, we realised that a family of four, you know, to find 250-ish quid to come for the year. You know, not a lot of families have got that sort of disposable income a month. But when you say, yeah, for a family of four, it's now only £20 a month. They're like, yeah, this is great. And uh, I think that it really increased our visitors. And more people that come here then get to see about oh, our oh, day nursery and get to see about our higher price events that are booked in advance that makes us less uh, weather-dependent. You know, we, we sit here today and our Christmas event, you know, it's in, we're in September and we're a third fall for our Christmas event. Um, but we realise that we need to have lots of customers to try our products at a lower price so that they book in advance. And I think that's what's going to happen with accommodation for us when we kick off with that. Because, you know, that's a big thing about the leisure business, you know, or certainly an outdoor and indoor leisure business. No matter how good you are, the weather can really decide whether you're going to be 30% up or 30% down one month. And that just drives me insane. I bet. I can imagine last year it was so good with the uh, weather. It was such a great summer. And this, this summer hasn't been so good. Has it, have you seen a massive effect? No, actually, uh, this summer we've had a record break in August. It's our... Oh, wow. In terms of visitor numbers and cash, both indoor and outdoor, we've uh, 
we've had a record breaker. Um, but I think that really comes down to uh, uh, what we, we talk about, the five P's in a business. So, you know, you want to make sure you've got the right pricing architecture. And that's what I was sort of alluding to there, um, where, you know, you have your most customers that are coming in, you know, to a farm park band between 10 and £15 per person per visit that allows you to market to them for your higher price events like your Father Christmas event, your day nursery, if you want to open a holiday club or do uh, accommodation. So you've got to make sure you've got a really good pricing architecture, knowing that you've got something that people can try before they really buy. Um, moving on to that, you've got to make sure that you've got a great product. Um, once you sorted your pricing architecture out, um, you can make sure you've got a great product, and I think that's what we delivered here at Marsh Farm this summer holidays, which was the children's festival that ran for the six weeks holidays, um, and that's why we doubled our visitor numbers, doubled our cash, and some. Um, so then, after you've got your product, you've got to make sure that you focus on promotion. You've got to do a lot of promotional work, um, and you know I'm very keen to do that stuff. And you can't just say yeah because radio worked before, newspapers worked before, leaflets worked before. Um, you know, if you've got to embrace digital products, uh, digital mediums to get your customers, then you need to do that. And maybe go run, flick over to what I just said, that maybe you do need to do radio. Maybe you do need to do offline stuff and online stuff. You've really got to, you know, focus so much of your time on the promotion of your business. I've always said that the greatest business owners that I come across um, spend most of their time growing their business rather than operating their business. And that's a bit of a mind shift change. So you want to become a marketeer of your business rather than an operator of your business to be really successful. So that, that brings us up to the third P. The, the, the next P is make sure that you um, have the very best people that you can have around you, the best staff um, uh, that really believe in your product. Um, that, that's the fourth P. So it's what's the fifth P. I'm just trying to get to uh, price, product, promotion, people perpetual that's what it is perpetual revenue uh, perpetual income which would be making sure you've got um some residual income each month and where marsh farm has got thousands of people on direct debit membership and we have a day nursery those people that are our perpetual customers that spend with us every month on direct debit are like our outsourced marketing department they come in and try the product share it on social media so that really gets us um gets us going the ground gets us going on the ground running if you like in terms of the so the memberships, how did you work out a pricing structure for that and um, implement it? Was it was it an easy process or was it something you've developed over time? Well, we just said, right, our, this is our... It's, so we sort of know that most families, after all their exes, only have £200 a month of disposable income. They want days out. Um, they want to take their families out. We understand all of that. But they, they want membership, but we just understand that most people can't stump up for a family of four or five. I mean, if you're a family of five and you want to be a member at Marsh Farm, you've got to um, find £325 to become a member. And, and, that, and that's a problem for lots of families. So we sort of said, well, why don't we divide that by 12? So that becomes... £27 a month. Let me say, oh, let's actually make it cheaper. Then just say, look, it's £5 per person per month. So you don't have to. And here's the other thing. We, we also gave what we call granddads or grandma rights, if you like. So if you sign up for our direct debit membership, the price will never go up in the future. So you know what you're paying. And 
we also worked out through doing some research that most people that come onto direct debit membership last and stay around for an extra six months compared to those people that pay up front. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Great news yeah. all round. And, you know, in January, you know, we, we, you know, by the time we get to January, we say, yeah, actually, we've got, you know, 25 grand's worth of direct debit income, 60,000 worth of childcare income coming in. So we we can say already in January, which is a tough time for outdoor leisure businesses, um, don't need to be Albert Einstein to work that one out. Um, no one really wants us to trot along to a farm park in January. But when you can say, yeah, we're going to have 80,000, 60,000, 70,000 pounds worth of income in January on direct debits through those two perpetual revenue streams, that really starts to give you a business that that's much more confident for you to run. Absolutely. So what would you say is down to your success? What would you, I know there's probably quite a few things, but what would you, if there was one key thing, what would you say it is? Um, I would say it's E plus M equals S, um, which is my formula uh, for business real success. And that's entrepreneurship plus management equals success. Um, Entrepreneurs don't tend to make great managers of businesses, but actually the greatest businesses have the great management. there's way too much spoke about leadership in businesses right now. The leadership, there only needs to be that. That's a leadership is a vision, a, a culture, um, and, and people are muddying up leadership into management. Um, and you know, management, great quality management, really is the magic of a successful organisation. And if you look at really great businesses, they are micromanaged. If you look at Starbucks, McDonald's. You know, the, the, you know, great schools, the army, they're micromanaged. Um, now, they've got leadership within oh, them, right. don't get me wrong. You know, they've got entrepreneurship leadership around them. And they've also got the day-to-day stuff being really well looked after. And this is this is the way I see it. The entrepreneurship, the leadership in a business is thinking quarter to quarter, it's thinking year to year, thinking decade to decade. He's thinking about what's the next generation going to be like for this business. Yeah. Whereas your management is thinking second to second, minute to minute, day to day, week to week, month to month. And that is a clear difference. And you need to have both. You need someone to really understand the war plan for the business, leadership, and also have someone that's going to work out how to fight the battles in the most efficient way for you to win that war. Uh, the way I really describe it you know, to people is that you need to have a head teacher, but you also need great teachers for the kids to be really have successful education. Uh, and that's what I mean when I think about E plus M equals S. Too much management, there'll be no innovation. Too much entrepreneurship, too much leadership, nothing gets done. And you need both. That's really uh, insightful, I think. So in terms of why I think Party Man has done so well is um, I've embraced putting great people around the business that have strong management DNA that understand leadership's important, but understand that, you know, there needs to be super systems and organisation. Basically, you've got to run a business like a franchise without it being a franchise. If you look at why banks like backing franchises, because they believe in the management of it. I'd imagine you have quite a strict um, recruitment process. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm I'm only responsible really for the people. There's about six people I work with um, that are my senior team. Um, in in my view, when it comes to recruitment, you want to have um, 
maybe four, but at least uh, at least four, but maybe more. Um, and and that would be uh, you know four interviews or getting to know someone uh, for a senior team position if you're an entrepreneur, because you know. Yeah, usually entrepreneurs they meet someone they they think they're great or they think they're terrible, but then by the interview three they might have changed their mind. And also on a senior person, you must get them to do a presentation to you and your senior team on how they're going to take forward the business and implement the ideas, so that you know everyone's clear on what's going to be done. So that 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 um, the four interview process for entrepreneurs I think is really important. Do you use um, do you use digital at all for recruitment process do you use any um tools digital tools for doing that so so my team um the way we recruit our team that don't work directly underneath me uh it's very we try and use an x-factor recruitment style of stuff and our day nurseries is different again uh but we would you know get people in for like group interviews get them to stand on stage and we're looking for people on attitude over skill set uh, every step of the way we want happy hard-working people rather than people that are highly skilled with the wrong attitude and we, we we've had our fingers burnt when we've you know employed people you know falling in love with a cv god this person's so highly skilled but they come in and they're the wrong cultural fit yeah um and we, you know but we've done well to mold people into the right culture because the business isn't perfect it takes so long for businesses to become so strong and stable um you know, especially if you look at some of the great, I mean, here's, the, here's the facts of it. 50% of businesses go bust within two years. 80% are gone within five years. 94% are gone within 10 years. That That's sort of the fact of UK businesses. Yeah. Then if you look at those 6% that make it past 10 years, they're usually really great at marketing. They're usually the experts of a particular industry. And uh, they're a property business in unison where they own, good assets so that they can when the business needs innovation they can you know re-innovate and go again and you know i've always said that if businesses don't innovate they're going to evaporate and the world is constantly innovating even when you're at the top of your game the world is constantly innovating and that's that's what i try and do in our businesses like constantly push for innovation whereas management they go well why why break something that's fixed that's working it's because the west of the world is continually innovating and they're out innovating you at a constant speed so you've got to be constantly out innovating the world at the same time even when you're really good so how would you define great customer service well i've wrote a book about this called the experience business yeah it's available on all good bookstores <laughs> What I've learned about customer service, though, is actually the business has to be business savvy to deliver consistent customer service, i.e. the business must have margin so that it can afford to give its customers what I call customer cuddles. What's a customer cuddle? You know, you go and stay in a really nice hotel and you know, there's towels on the bed made into shapes of animals. It looks like a zoo. There's flowers on the bed they've given you a glass of champagne and they've showed you how the wardrobe works but if you're paying four to fifteen hundred pounds a night to stay in a hotel like that they have margin to give you customer cuddles if you are charging just enough between 50 and 70 pounds for your hotel room then 
all your decisions will be made on a profit and loss basis on how you can survive. And therefore, you cannot afford to consistently give customer cuddles back to your customers. Therefore, they're not becoming raving fans of the business. And therefore, you need to do consistent, okay service rather than sometimes be excellent, sometimes be okay, sometimes be average. And I think uh, we, we were talking earlier in the office about Ryanair and uh I, I, I thought Lisa, who works this, you know, you know the rules with them, and if you don't like it, you don't go. But you know, they're not like Cathay Pacific, Virgin Atlantic style customer service because the margin isn't there for them to be able to do that consistently. So, good customer service requires a ton of training, and you've got to be able to consistently afford to do that training. So that has to be reflected in the prices that you charge for your products and service. I.e., you know, you know, most theme parks are. 25 to 35 quid to get in disney's 150 pounds and that's why disney do all these added extras because there's tons of margin to give those customer cuddles so i always tell people like you know you want to give your customers great service make sure you've got margin to be able to do that consistently here's what happens in loads of startup businesses the business owner doesn't pay himself anything he puts in all the effort and gives a disney harrods customer service but he's not actually charging his customers the right amount of money for it so he then tries to have some time off and put a management team in place doesn't train them doesn't afford the best people that he can get in the market because his prices don't allow so if you want to deliver great customer service that's why i put in the book the experience business then actually you've got to get your business in the right place before you can do that and if you don't have margin don't expect to have great customer service because you can't do it you'll end up cutting stuff i think it's so so important these days if you know if you get have bad customer service, people are very quick to then talk about it online. Yep. And that can manifest into all sorts of trouble. What I'm trying to get at here is you can't do great customer service if you don't have margin. You just can't do it. You can't afford to do it. And that's, you know, uh, hacking. one of the biggest things that is driving great customer service now is also the ability to self-serve you know people are going into mcdonald's they're going into costa coffee they're going into supermarkets and they can get out uh quicker because of self-serve self-serve checkouts going to the airport self-serve checking into hotels self-serve what the smart businesses are going to do is they're going to then surprise people with customer service when they're not expecting it so you know can you imagine a supermarket that's all self-serve but then there's you know 10 staff that are there to help you take your stuff to your car and load it into your car that is a surprise and delight of customer service rather than just where you expect it to be does that make sense yeah is it i mean is that something that you're working on with your visitor attractions our Father Christmas experience is probably one of the best things that, that we run in terms of customer delivery and service. Because there's margin, we put in loads of customer cuddles. You know, like So taking someone you know, someone shopping to your car is what I would call a customer cuddle. Customers love that. They become raving fans of that. Yeah. But you can't continually do that unless you have margin. But businesses are saving money now at a, a colossal rate, you know, like McDonald's I mean, and, and supermarkets. You think, you know, when they would have 104 checkouts in some of these places and that, you know, every time you go in there, they've taken a few more out and put in self-serve. There'll be, there'll be huge labour savings in that um, once they've worked out all the software and paid all that off and, you know, paid off the capital expenditure doing that. There's going to be some labour savings. And, it would be at that juncture if you've got the margin that you should 
surprise and delight your customers where they're least expecting it with human interaction. That is how you will win. Being remarkable, I think. You can't be remarkable unless you charge the right prices because you will end up having to cut corners. And this is the bit that no one talks about. Yeah. Do you think that's a bigger business decision for visitor attractions? If you like, look at Apple, they, you know, cost them 200 quid to make an iPhone, but they sell it for 1,250 quid, mm. you know, £1,050 worth of margin there. Yeah. You know, they do deliver remarkable customer service and it consistently so. That's because they have so much margin in their products. You know, if they were like a normal business, right, this costs 250 quid to make, right, let's sell it for 400 or 450 you start looking at the profit and loss. You, know, you want to have so much margin that you can say, nope, let's always invest in our customer in stuff they're not expecting. So what, what do you think is the future of family and children's attractions as a whole? How, where do you think it's going? The number one thing that drives customer service for family attractions, in my opinion, is making as much as you can, a queueless situation. So self-serve, you know, ordering on your phone for your food. Yeah. All of that, getting in quickly and as efficiently as possible so you don't have to queue. If you get rid of the queues, then people are already much happier. And and, and technology is, is making that happen. I mean, you know, people going into Weatherspoons right now and just ordering food on their phone and it arrives at their table. So if you've got a four-year-old or a three-year-old that's whining and moaning, you don't have to take them up to queue. That is actually delivering a fantastic experience for a mum or a dad that's stressed. I mean, I know, I've got a two-year-old. He gets the oven and you have to queue for something. You know, no amount of customer service will make me feel better other than sorting him out. So if you can remove those stresses, you know, making your website as easy as possible to buy tickets, this is stuff that we've constantly trying to work on. You know, if you can cut the clicks and, you know, bring down the queue time by 70% by embracing technology, um, that, that, that stuff I really think drives great customer service um, because people then start to notice all the stuff you do. Well, that's what we're trying to do for... Uh... Visitor attractions. I mean, in the experience business book, experience starts of easy peasy. Let me read you this. So here's the thing. This book, anything you commit to, must be backed up with evidence. You can argue with opinion, but it's impossible to argue with evidence. However, I hate what I'm going to share with you in this chapter. I've discovered that something that's odds with my core beliefs about running a business. It's like something's showing you water running uphill. Every part of you says that it's not possible, but the evidence is staring you in the face. Things evolve, I know that, but sometimes things change faster than we expect. I've always believed that good old-fashioned human interaction is a key part of every business operation. For years, I've heard people raining against robot phone systems. Press one for that, two for that. You get the idea. People want to talk to real people, not robot voices. At least that's what I used to think. But now, the simple truth is that more and more people don't want to interact with humans when they're doing business. They want to self-serve. They want to interact with the website so they can literally book their tickets at 11 o'clock at night. The shift is happening. I've seen the evidence in my own business, and it's a game changer for us all. I'll give you two real-life examples of how my own habits have changed. Number one, when the supermarkets introduced self-checkout lanes a few years ago, I said they were a really silly idea because people like talking to checkout assistants. 
now I go straight to self for checkouts. Number two, up until recently, I booked all my international travel over the phone. I wanted to speak to a real person. This week, I booked a flight to Hong Kong on Virgin Atlantic. No human interaction required. Two small examples, but they are backed up by what we want to do with party man customers, which is generally they prefer to self-serve instead of being served. Before long, some customers want to do everything without interacting with a real person. So businesses must allow their customers to self-serve. Too many businesses still force the human interaction. And that's just a little snippet from the book uh, that emphasizes what we've just discussed there. You know, my, my view is, you know, if companies save on labor, you know, maybe they need to build a theater and put on shows so that that style of human interaction people still want. You know, they want walkabout entertainment, but they, you know, you know, if you can give someone a choice, like, oh, would you like to wait for the human that might be a bit tired to check your passports not smile because they've had a bad day and they've had an argument with their other half or do you just want to go self-serve through have your passport checked and do it 20 times quicker they're going to think that's better customer service aren't they absolutely what um, what, what book was that taken from that's called the experience business and you've got the two other ones are called the millionaire clown and getting customers is that right yeah, getting customers comes out momentarily. I'm just waiting uh, for my team to finish it off. But the experience business, the book that I've just um, spoke about there, that is also available on Audible. So you can get that on Audible uh, or you can get it uh, and you can also send it to you for free. Just pay the post and packaging on my website, jamesinclair.net. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, we'll be sharing uh, we'll be sharing those details around in the show notes. So what plans and uh, things have you got coming up with your businesses? We want to put focus more on outdoor attractions rather than indoor attractions so we've got our eye on some possible opportunities to get some more outdoor attractions um i'm not massively keen on opening more indoor leisure stuff i think it's you know the market is very competitive on that now uh, saying that we obviously do have a chunk of them we would keep them you know we're a bit more of a collector of stuff rather than sellers of stuff not saying that's forever but I just find outdoor attractions just such better businesses to build. You can, they've got capacity, um, and I think you can build a big membership base around them so that they're not so weather dependent. And by putting on childcare, that you know strengthens the robustness of the business. I, uh, I suppose the, you're competing against a lot of these uh, trampoline places and these bounce places and the soft play areas. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Well, we are the, the biggest soft play area chain in the country, unbelievably. We've got nine sites. It's, it's a tough business, you know. Our indoor leisure, we would not do unless we had childcare there. Uh, the, the thing is, people open indoor leisure and they have a great first year because it's like the new restaurant in town that everyone wants to check out. You know, I always say to people, show me your figures in year four. If they're as good as year one, I'll say, well done. And very rarely do people do that. Not everyone, but very rarely whereas a visitor attraction is outdoor has capacity you know you, 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 i always say what's the point of really marketing a indoor leisure attraction because if it the sun's out and it's super sunny no one's going to bloody come you know and um and even if it, when it, in the winter you can only get so many people in if you look at marsh farm and get five thousand people in at any one time an indoor attraction 700 800 in at any one time that, that's a fundamental difference how, how do you deal with when it is bad weather then with the outdoor attractions what things have you got in place for, for that 
well, you have a membership, you have members, they still come. So that's why I think having members is really important. And we have a day nursery on site. So, I mean, I, I think it's near on impossible for visitor attraction to make profit every single month of the year. But, you know, I do believe you could get to a break-even situation by adding on additional services around the core business, day nursery, accommodation, pet hotel, uh, hiring out the parts of your places for conferences. I don't know, whatever it might be, you know. Um, Other red things. Yeah, but the core business feeds that happening. Have you, uh, have you thought about moving any of your businesses overseas or anything like that? No, I, I, I prefer to do stuff in the UK, really, because it's a market that I understand. Not saying never, but... Yeah, at the moment, it's a, a bit unsure with Brexit as well, I suppose. I don't care about Brexit. No? I just don't care. No, I don't care about recessions and whatever the economy's doing. I believe that entrepreneurs make their own economy. I think Brexit or recessions and downturns help in many ways because less people want to open up. Um, you know, less people invest in their business, so the person that goes forward is actually in a better position. And I've always believed that. Uh, um, what I think would massively help uh, leisure businesses is lower VAT, like it is around the world. Um, I think that you know, with, you know, Europe, for example, uh, France only pays five percent of VAT for leisure attractions. Right. Spain and uh, France are cheaper as well. And then I think that would drive wage growth in in the service sector in the UK as well. But hey, who who knows what's going to happen? There's, there's some good, but I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. No, there, those things will continue to happen. And you know, this Brexit thing could go on for another three years. You know, I'm not going to let that stop me getting on with what I want to do. But I do know loads of people that that are holding back, and I think that's great. Um, there'll be more opportunity for us <laughs> as we want to go forward. Yeah. Where can people follow you or, or you know? Well, I've got a, quite an extensive YouTube channel, so you can go over to YouTube, type in James Sinclair, I'm all there. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, James Sinclair again. Uh, and, and I've got a Facebook uh, chat group, James Sinclair's Entrepreneurs Chat, I'll send it in there, just uh, entrepreneurs, helping entrepreneurs. Um, uh, and on my website, jamesinclair.net. I mean, you know, if you go to jamesinclair.net, um, all roads lead to all the other roads there. So um, there we go. Well, thank you so much for today, James, for doing this. It's been uh, really insightful and really useful. You can find links and notes from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast, or search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. Please remember to leave a rating. It helps other people find us. This podcast was brought to you by Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com.